Mark chapter 10, uh, Nigel preached last Sunday and then on Monday I was praying and just saying, God, what will I do on Sunday coming? What will I talk about? We're in the summertime, we're out of series mode and just wanted to, to ask for his guidance and I felt immediately a name came to mind and that was the name, Bartimaeus. What do you know about Bartimaeus? Nothing. Come on. You blind. Okay, everybody knows Bart- blind Bartimaeus and Sunday school and RE and things like that. You've probably heard of this dude Bartimaeus. But I felt this was where we were to pitch the tent this morning and take a look at this guy at the end of Mark chapter 10. So let's read from verse 46 to verse 52. You ready? You don't look ready. (laughs) Okay. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, which is important and we'll get to it, was sitting by the roadside begging When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, that means teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Let's just pray before we dive into this little story. Father, we thank you for your goodness in your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love. And Father, I thank you for this people, this community of faith this morning. I ask God that you will stir our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit as we read your word together and think about this passage, that you will do a work within each of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's only one guy in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who is healed by Jesus and who we are given the name of. Everyone else, we don't know who they are. We know he healed a woman, he healed a man, he healed a child, but we don't know any names apart from Bartimaeus' name. So we're going to take a look at what his name means. And this is one of those stories in the Bible, in the Gospels, where you can very easily just pass it by because you think, I've known this since I was a wee nipper you know blind Bartimaeus and Jesus healed him blah blah but we want to dive in today for for hopefully 20 minutes 25 minutes just to give you hope that we're not be here all day and see what this actually means for us it's the last miracle of healing that's recorded in Mark's gospel and what you've got in this scene is Jesus heading towards Jerusalem Jericho is about 20 miles away from Jerusalem they are on foot He's moving towards Jerusalem, moving towards the cross. 
and he's got a crowd of people who are following with him who have been drawn because of the things that he's done and the things that he says. And on the outskirts of the city of Jericho, this guy interrupts the procession. So there's all these you know, people bustling around Jesus, maybe asking questions, maybe some people want him to do a miracle or whatever. And suddenly this guy starts shouting at the side of the road. Who is he? Well, his name is Bartimaeus. Now, when you're reading the Bible and you see Bar in somebody's name, Bar means son. So we have Williamson or Anderson or Johnson or whatever. Bar is the equivalent in Hebrew and that means son. So Bartimaeus is the son of Timaeus. That's really interesting, isn't it? Okay. The The name Timaeus means uncleanness now something that's unclean is dirty so this guy's name was son of uncleanness bringing it up to the sort of modern language he might have been referred to as dirtbag okay now this is not the name that his mama gave to him i don't think Like, come on, sometimes we get frustrated with our kids, but we're not probably going to give them a name like that for their whole journey. But this guy was called the son of uncleanness. This was a nickname probably given to him by other people. Because the the prevailing view at the time was if he was blind, then that was a result of either his sin or his parents' sin. And therefore, his parents are unclean, or he is unclean, and he gets this label from the community around about him. He gets called the son of uncleanness. That's what he was known as. That's, what they, that's the name that the society around gave him. That was spoken over him day after day after day. Negativity. You are the son of uncleanness. You're a dirtbag. Your situation in life is as the result of your sin or somebody else's sin before you. And names stick. Started off as a nickname, but nicknames stick. I had a teacher in school who called me Brat. Okay. Um, It was my physics teacher, A-level physics teacher. I think she was also a pastoral yearhead somehow, even though she called me a brat. Um, and then when I went back to the same school to get a job as a teacher, she was still there and still called me brat. To the extent that there could be, she's at one end of the corridor and I'm at the other end with 50 students maybe in between us and she would shout brat. And I'm like, please, you know, there are kids here. Could we do this a bit differently? Names stick. You probably have heard me refer to Sarah, who's not in the room, as flea. Because when she was small, the infant just could not sit still. She bounced around everywhere and small jumping around became flea and flea has stuck. And in our house, she's still known as flea. Names stick and Bartimaeus stuck. Dirtbag. That's who you are. That's who, that, that became his identity. He, it was spoken over him. And some of you may have experienced this where something has been spoken over you so many times that it starts to become who you are. Some negative name, negative identity that has stuck. And you start to think to yourself, well, maybe this is all I will ever be. 
This is how people know me. I'm the guy that sits in the dust outside Jericho and this is what they call me. And he hears it so many times that he just starts to think, well, that's who I am. And he's no hope. He has no hope. I think one of the most powerful things that you can give to another human being is hope. The most powerful film I think that I have ever seen, I haven't watched it probably in two or three years, and I recommend it with caution that the age rating on it is there for a reason, but the Shawshank Redemption is one of the most powerful things that you will ever see. Hope. The power of hope. I hate negative atmospheres. I hate toxic atmospheres where people are not given hope where they're just labeled, this is the way it's going to be for you. I have the ability, and I'm proud of it, I will find an ounce of gold in a ton of dirt. (laughs) I don't care how much dirt there is, I will wade into it, and I have told you this, and I'm calling all of us as a community to have this mindset, to wade into a pile of dirt and be determined to find the nugget of gold. In a person. I hate toxic atmospheres where, where people are just labeled and left to sit in the dust. So that's who he is. That's the name he carries. That's what he hears every day. He's blind. He sees nothing. All he hears is people calling him dirtbag and saying, here's a couple of shekels for you, dirtbag, or I've got nothing for you today, a dirtbag, or shut up, dirtbag. Jesus is passing by with these nice people and you are spoiling the parade, dirtbag. And that just eventually sticks. Where is he? So he's at the side of the road begging. He probably had his usual spot where he went every single day and spent all his time. Maybe he was part of a community of beggars and another one of them was able to see and the the one who could see would bring Bartimaeus each day to his spot and sit him down and say, there you go. But that was his place. And he owned nothing other than a cloak that we'll get to later. That's all he had. And he would just sit there, vulnerable, asking for money. He's not on the road. He's at the side of the road. That's an important detail. Okay, So for any Bible nerds out there, we'll do a wee thing at the end that you'll see why it's important that he's not on the road at this point. He's sitting beside the road. And it's just another day. He's sitting there. His cloak is a beggar's cloak, so he would have wore it at night to keep warm. But during the t- daytime, he would have set it out in front of him. He maybe sat on the end of it and set, you know, put the other bit out flat. And if people were coming by with a couple of shackles, they would chuck them in under the cloak. But one day, he hears a name. Now, he's just going about his usual routine, sitting hopeless in the dust. And he hears a name. He hears the crowd... And the name that he keeps on hearing over and over again is this name, Jesus. And even though he's blind, and this is something that that Mark does throughout his gospel, is that he has Jesus healing blind people. And at the same time, the disciples who are with Jesus are failing to see who Jesus is. So you've got this wee sort of metaphor going on. Jesus is healing the blind physically, but there are some who are blind spiritually and failing to see him. Bartimaeus knows who he is. Somehow, Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David. How he knew this, I do not know. (laughs) 
He's the only one in Mark's gospel that refers to Jesus as the son of David. And by referring to him as son of David, he is declaring him to be king. Because the people were waiting right from the time of David, about a thousand years before, the people were waiting for a descendant of King David who would be an eternal king over God's people. And Bartimaeus, in his blindness, recognizes that Jesus is this king. He sees it, and the others didn't. And here's a wee sting for you. A couple of wee stings may be coming this morning, but here's a wee stingy point. There are an awful lot of people in the church who don't know Jesus. An awful lot. They know a little bit about him. They know vaguely maybe that he died for their sins, but they don't actually know him. And I find as you, as you go on in life as a follower of Jesus, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more awesome and more and more incredible. And I find that there are a lot of people who just have this tiny scratching of the surface knowledge of a few things about Jesus and don't actually really know who he is. And this blind guy was able to see Jesus more clearly than those who had good eyes. So he knew who Jesus was, and he also knew what he needed. He said, have mercy on me. He needed mercy. Mercy is one of those sort of bible words, but what it simply means is, is when you don't get what you deserve. That's mercy. Grace, in simple terms, is when you get what you don't deserve. And mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. And God's word teaches that we have all fallen short. All of us have fallen short of his design for what it means to be a human being. For his, his desire for relationship with people. Every single one of us has fallen short of that. And we read that the, the wages of sin, the outcome of it is death. But he has mercy. <laughs> He comes and he offers mercy and he says, you deserve something, but you're not going to get what you deserve. You're going to get something else because he's merciful. And then in his grace, he gives us life that we don't deserve. Bartimaeus knew what he needed. And I want you now to imagine yourself, you know, picture the scene. You're, you're in the crowd or you're at the side of the road. You're maybe one of the other beggars who can see what's going on. And like you... you you see the crowd passing and, and there's excitement about heading to Jerusalem because the crowd don't know what's going to happen at Jerusalem. Jesus knows. The disciples have been told, but they haven't quite got it. But the crowd probably think they're going to see him sit on a big throne and rule the world and whip the Romans and drive them out of town. And you, you're there watching and you hear this, this voice of this guy shouting at the side of the road and Jesus stops in his, you know, in his tracks. He holds the procession up. And then look till you see what happens. We've got a guy begging for mercy. A broken man. A dirt bag, according to society. And he's crying out for mercy. And look what happens. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He wants mercy, and the people who are with Jesus say, you shut up. Jesus is too busy. You be quiet. He's too busy talking to us about religious stuff or whatever. You just be quiet. Stay in your box. Don't interfere. 
you have this situation where you have a crowd of people. Now listen to this because this is going to sting again. You've got a crowd of people tagging along with Jesus who are actually preventing a man from getting to him. This man wants mercy. This man is crying out of his brokenness. And the religious crowd are saying, shut up. (laughs) Stop it. Be quiet. And I think, again, there's a huge point in that, that it is really, really possible, and in fact, quite common, for a bunch of religious people to actually act as a blockage to those who are crying out for mercy. To actually stand in the way. These guys have done this before. The disciples earlier on, I think in the same chapter, in Mark chapter 10, some people have brought children to Jesus. And, and the disciples say, no, 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 no. He doesn't have time for children. Take, take them away. And Jesus, Jesus rebukes them. He says, no, bring the children to me. <laughs> I do have time for children. I do have time. They're human beings as well. They're made in the image of God too. You don't just sort of flick them to one side. I do have time for them. But there's an immense and a, and a really weighty and serious thought that the activity and the behavior of religious people can stop those who are genuinely crying for mercy. That is serious and it is shocking. And it's a real challenge to us as a community. I never, ever, ever want to have an atmosphere or an attitude in here that would cause someone to look and say, I can't encounter Jesus there. Or those people won't let me in. They won't welcome me. They'll drive me away because I'm a dirtbag. I never want that. I never want that. The whole concept of a table is the New Testament picture of Jesus sitting at a meal and eating with people who the religious folks wouldn't eat with. Yeah? That's the picture. That's the heart. Don't lose sight of it. But I love Bartimaeus because he's persistent. (laughs) He cries all the more. He shouts all the more. All that happens is he raises his voice and he cries for mercy louder. Do you know any persistent people? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I have a persistent 10-year-old who's always hungry. Does anybody else have a son who just, Mike, a boy who will just eat and eat and eat and eat all day long, just keeps on grazing? I don't know how we're going to pay for, for, for grub when this infant gets this teens. Persistent. Have you got a Jack Russell who just persistently wants up onto your lap and, just can, and you're like, go away, and just will not go away. Persistent. Have you ever persisted yourself in something? I have, you know, thought about this and I thought about times that Linda and I have sat outside stadiums from like eight or nine in the morning until about eight at night because we wanted to be at the front row for the gig. Literally all day long just sitting there. Persistent. Are you persistent? Bartimaeus was persistent. He shouted all the more. He was opposed by the people around him. He had these negative things spoken over him. This had become part of his identity and he was stuck in this rut for years. But boy, he is determined. 
I need to touch Jesus. I need to get to him. He is the only one who can help me. I will persist in getting to him. Stuck in this rut that had become his identity. Do you know, it's possible to get so acclimatized to the rut that you're in that it becomes the norm. He could have said that day, after they told him to be quiet, he could have said, yeah, well, I guess that's just me. That's who I am. I am Bartimaeus. I am the son of uncleanness. I'm the dirtbag at the side of the road. Jesus is not for me. Jesus is for the middle class people that are milling around him. And, and I just, I guess I better just be quiet and sit here and take what I, what I deserve. But Bartimaeus is persistent. He will not just sit and say, well, it is what it is. He wants change. How persistent are we? How persistent are are we as individuals about, about knowing Jesus and about connecting with him? How persistent are we as a community about seeing change in a town? Because as I say to people regularly, a town like this, you're not going to see change overnight. It has to be long haul, digging in, putting down your roots, being faithful during ups and downs, being faithful when times are good, being faithful when times are bad, being faithful when it looks like God's not doing anything, sticking it out, persistently present and faithful about the call of God. That sort of people will see a town change. We'll see an atmosphere change. There are verses that for me, are, are powerful verses about what God wants a community of people to do in a town. I just want to remind you of a couple of them and beg of your church to hold on to your persistence and your stubborn determination. Listen to Isaiah 61.4. Think about your town, your hard, difficult town. God says to his people, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Will they? And restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. I still believe it. Okay? And I'll still be saying it in 10, 15, 20 years. This is the call of God to see restoration and rebuilding of that which is ruined and devastated. But it takes persistence. It takes a stubborn, spirit-filled, determined people to make it happen. Here's one that we were praying a couple of weeks ago in the prayer meeting on Tuesday night. So we verse tucked away towards the end of the Psalms. Psalm 144, verse 14. There will be no breaching of the walls, no going into captivity, and look at this, no cry of distress in our streets. I remember reading through the Psalms a few years ago and just in my reading plan and that was a verse that I just had never noticed before but I saw that line no cry of distress in our streets and I thought there's a good vision statement for a town not in our streets no cry of distress nobody going into captivity on our streets and I wrote beside it in capital letters my town (laughs) my town but it takes persistence you don't you don't just swing in you know preach some nice sermons for two or three weeks Give people a cup of tea and a sandwich and and see that happen. That doesn't happen. That takes a community who will just bed down, grab hold of the town like a tick. Have you ever tried to pull a tick off an animal? You know, it's not coming off easy. That's what we need to be, a tick on the town. 
We're not shifting. Persistence. And then there's this beautiful two words. Sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't take many words to just stop you when you're reading your Bible or when you're pondering something. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet. He shouted out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. That's good. Jesus stopped. You know, some of you are looking at me as if to say, why is that good? <laughs> this is King Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is uh, the, the, the Word made flesh. This is the one who was there and active in creation. All things made by him and for him. This is the one who is currently on the way to Jerusalem to die on a cross for the sins of all of humanity. There's a dirtbag on the side of the road crying for mercy and Jesus stopped. I love the times when Jesus stops. In another story in Mark, a few chapters before this, he's on his way to Jairus' house. Jairus' daughter is sick and, and there's, a, there's an urgency about getting to Jairus' house to heal the little girl. But Jesus on the way is pushing through crowds and, and this woman comes, this old, again, this supposedly insignificant, unimportant woman who's been bleeding for 12 years hemorrhaging she comes and she just touches the bottom of his robe to make contact with him and he stops everything you know no you need to get to Jairus's house you need to re- you need to heal this little girl before she dies no i'm stopping somebody touched me it's powerful and we as his followers church need to be able to stop sometimes when we're really just, you know, we've got a, a mission and we're doing something and we need to get this, this, and this done before bedtime. But there's a cry of mercy. There's a reaching out to touch. Jesus is not here physically. And if someone's going to respond to the cry, it has to be his people. There has to be that ability to stop and be interruptible. That we're not ruled by the calendar. That we can make time to listen to the cry of mercy. Jesus stopped. Literally it says in the Greek, Jesus stood still. Just all of a sudden, you know, the crowd are busting along. They're saying, you know, shut up. And he just, he just stops. And he hears, he hears the cry of one human being. Of all the people on, on the planet, he hears one human being cry out his name and say, I need your mercy. And he stops. He's interruptible. He hears the cry and he says, call him. (laughs) Bring him over here. Bring him over here. And Bartimaeus, the crowd said to him, see how they're so polite now? (laughs) The same crowd that have been rebuking him and saying, "Ah, stop it. They said, cheer up (laughs) on your feet now. He's calling you, come on. Suddenly they're so polite, so nice, so two-faced and hypocritical. And Bartimaeus gets up and says he throws the cloak aside. And again, you look at that and you think, you know what, this guy's on something. Why has he underlined that? Who cares that he's thrown his cloak aside? The cloak was the only thing he had. Now the cloak, the coat, the beggar's coat, he just had the one coat. He's not like some of us who have many coats. Yes? Any of you have many coats? Um, Some of us have so many coats that 
Our wardrobe can't contain the coats, and the coats overflow from our wardrobe to somebody else's wardrobe. A thing happened this week in our house. I came home one day, and I said to Linda, I said, I think we've got like one of those poltergeists, one of those ghosts in the house, because while we were away, some of your coats have moved from your wardrobe into my wardrobe. I just opened the wardrobe, and they were there, on the bottom rail, you know, where the space is. Coats, many coats. Temporarily, just, just resting in my wardrobe. Yeah, also known as a hostile takeover. Bartimaeus had one coat. I'll tell you two things about his coat. His coat sheltered him and protected him. That was the thing that, that he found his security in at night. The coat sheltered him, protected him. And the second thing about the coat it defined him. This is really important. Really, really important. It was a beggar's coat. Right? A beggar's coat that he put out to get those coins into each day. And when he gets up to go to Jesus, get this, because this is good, he leaves the coat behind. He is no longer going to be defined by his coat says he threw it aside. I think if he'd brought it with him, Jesus would have politely said, you don't need that anymore. Because that is not who you are anymore. Because any man, that, any child, any woman, anyone that comes to Jesus is then made a new creation. You just leave that beggar's coat down because you're not a beggar anymore. Leave it. He threw it aside. His most prized possession. Earlier on, again, is it in the same chapter? It is in the same chapter. You've got this rich ruler. And, in, and what he was a ruler of, he was a ruler in a synagogue. He was an up-and-coming religious superstar. And he was wealthy. And Jesus said to him, give your money away. And he clung to what defined him. And he walked away. And we don't know what happened to him. Bartimaeus has got this one coat that defines him as a beggar. And he throws it away. He says, we're done with that. We're done with that. He was not going to find security anymore in anything other than Jesus. And Jesus asks him a question that you, you read it and you think, well, that's not, you know, it's not that smart a question. What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> Isn't it obvious? I'm blind. You know, why do you need to ask? He asks the same question of James and John again in the same chapter. And they want power and prestige. They want to sit with him in his glory. These are his disciples. But Bartimaeus knows what he needs. He knows that he needs to see. But he needs to say it. And again, something that is so powerful. And you know what? It is the most broken who are the best at it. To be able to name your deepest need. Jesus knows what it is. He knows what it is. But to be able to name it and to be able to say, this is, this is what I need. I don't need external. It's not just my eyes that are the problem. I need your mercy. <laughs> to be able to name the power of being able to say out loud, this is what I need. Even though it's so obvious there's something powerful in saying it. 
Jesus says, your faith has healed you. It's a partnership. Jesus comes and he offers, but Bartimaeus has to meet him in faith, in believing who he is. And as the story finishes, we read that Bartimaeus received his sight. And again, here's the key part. He followed Jesus along the road. He became a disciple. The church for a long time has not put discipleship in the place where it needs to be. I am not calling people to be Christians. I'm not calling people to receive forgiveness, although I want people to receive forgiveness. I'm not calling people to go to church, although I want people to to be the church. The call is follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Give me five Jesus followers over 100 church-going Christians. And those five Jesus followers will change the world far more than the hundred who just rock up to church and then go home. Follow. He follows Jesus along the road. And discipleship, big word, what that just means is following Jesus, learning from Jesus. It is a lifelong experience. And Bartimaeus does it. And just very briefly, to let you see the whole thing about the road and the blindness. When you go back to Isaiah 35, way back 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah speaks of a time when the eyes of the blind will be opened and a highway, a road will be there. And it will be called the way of holiness. It'll be for those who walk on that way. And Isaiah says the unclean won't be on the road. Bartimaeus was the son of uncleanness and he wasn't on the road. He was at the side of the road. But then whenever they encounter God, the redeemed will walk there. (laughs) And those the Lord has rescued will return. They'll enter Zion, that's Jerusalem, with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrowing and sighing will flee away. I will take that. See that last bit? Yes, sign me up. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sign will flee away. The unclean, the dirt bag at the side of the road who's not allowed on the road now encounters Jesus and he's on the road. He's on the way called the way of holiness. Love it. Love it. Some questions just to leave with you and I can fire these up on the, on the group later. What's your name? What do people call you? Might not be a name, might be a term, might be a label. But people call you something and they've said it about you for so long that it has stuck. What's your rut? Bartimaeus had a a rut at the side of the road. What's your rut that you're stuck in? Remember one time going into a field because there was a sheep on its back and I have great compassion for (laughs) animals in general. Um, and I thought, so I watched this sheep land on its back with the legs in the air flapping around and I thought, that thing can't get up. And I went over and into the field and I pulled the sheep up. And I remember then saying to the guy that owned the field, it wasn't, it wasn't the one who comes here, by the way, somebody else. And uh, I remember saying to him, I, yes, a couple of weeks ago, one, one of your sheep was lying on its back and I pulled it up. Is that okay? Do you want me to phone you when that happens? Or are you okay for me to do that? And he said to me, he sort of snapped at me a wee bit and he said, Sheep don't fall on their back at this time of year. And I was like, well, this one did. 
because it was in a rut. There was a tractor rut in the field where the tractor had gone through in wet weather and, and a gouged a big rut in the, in the ground which had then hardened up and the sheep was on its back, wedged in the rut and couldn't get up. Had to be lifted up. You know what? When you're in a rut, sometimes you just need someone to come along and grab a hold of you and pull you up on your feet. What's your, what's your rut? What's the thing you're stuck in? What's your cloak, your coat? The thing that gives you security, the thing that is your identity that you need to throw away in order to follow Jesus. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Would you name it? Because here's the way the invitation works. We, we hear about inviting Jesus into your heart. That's fine. But the invitation is not me inviting him into my heart. The invitation is Jesus inviting me to follow him. <laughs> He's the one that makes the invitation continually. I respond by saying, yeah, I receive you. I want, you. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to be born again. I want to be made new. But he's the one making the invitation. It's not like I'm going down a certain road and I have life all mapped out in front of me and I'm going to do this, 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 and this. Jesus, would you come along, please, and make it all work? Because <laughs> I think that's sometimes the attitude we have. It's not me going on down my road and saying, Jesus, I need you to tag along just in case anything goes wrong. No, no, he's got a road. And he says, no, you follow me down my road. <laughs> it's a better road. It's a better road. He's the one making the invitation. Will you follow him is the question. I'm still following him. I'm not relying on something that happened 20-odd years ago. I am still following him. When I get up in the morning, his voice <laughs> rings in my ears because I'm accustomed to, to having this mindset, follow me today. And tomorrow morning, follow me today. Not just I got saved, I prayed a prayer 20 years ago and I'm going to heaven when I die. That, no time for that. Follow me, follow me. Keep on following, keep on learning. Keep on bringing my life to the community around you. Bartimaeus, simple story, sometimes looked at almost as a children's story. Class story, yeah? Let's pray and then Stefan's gonna lead us as we sing.